John Cannon and the Congregation of Victory Church welcome you to this message from the Word of God. It is our heartfelt desire to see you grow closer to the Lord and to help you become all that He has created you to be. Our prayer is that through this ministry you would come to know Him in a greater way and that these teachings from Scripture would better equip you to fulfill His plan in your life. Now, let's join Pastor John as we study the Word together. Five weeks ago, the Victory Free Will Baptist Church moved into a new building under the leadership of Brother John Cannon. Brother John has been with us in Illinois since 1999. He is originally from, well, let me see where he is from. I don't know if I can find where he's from here. But he earned his undergraduate degree in pastoral ministries and a master's degree in pastoral counseling from Andersonville Theological Seminary. And before moving to Illinois, he pastored at the Calvary Free Will Baptist Church in Valdez, North Carolina, the Mount Vernon Free Will Baptist Church in Bison City, North Carolina. John and his wife, Debbie, have two children, Tyler, who leads worship at Victory, and Kristen, who is studying to become a nurse. We are very privileged to have Brother John in the service with us tonight. I'm sure that he will bless your heart as he has prepared himself thoroughly and completely to bring the message to us this evening on another aspect of God's faithfulness. He's certainly been an asset to our churches in Illinois, and we've appreciated working with him over these years. And uh, it's, he's become a very good friend of mine and a real blessing to me. We had the honor of having him to speak at our state association this past year, and he did a tremendous job. So we're in for a wonderful challenge this evening from the Word of God, because I know that John is open to God's leadership, and he has the message that God wants for him. Well, tonight I really, my passion, my desire is to really just try to come and be an encouragement to you. But before I get into the Word of God, I've got a text that I have been assigned, a topic that I have been assigned, and I want to try my best to unpack that and deal with that. But before I go much further, I want to do this one little thing. I would like for everyone at this moment to just look to that wall. Go ahead, everybody, just look at that wall. I promise you, I'm not going to sucker punch you, just look at that wall. Okay, now if you will, slowly turn and look at this wall. Slowly turn. Some, some of you still aren't turning. Turn. Look at that wall. Okay, now I want everyone to look straight up. Are you looking up? All right, now everyone look straight down. All right, now everybody look at me. You cannot leave here this evening and say that that speaker did not move you in one way or another. Amen? All right. My text is 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 through verse 19. My, what great preaching we have already had. I am very humbled. I'm very honored when I received the phone call from Brother Keith asking if I would preach at this convention. I started coming to these conventions about 20 years ago. And I remember my wife and I sitting out at one of the conventions a long time ago. And we were out in Oklahoma. She reached over and leaned to me and she said, do you think you'll ever preach at one of these conventions? I said, not a chance. God has a sense of humor. Amen. Uh, But I am honored, Brother Keith and the executive board, for this privilege to try to share. Great preaching we've already had. And of course, the theme is God is faithful. And my topic tonight is God is faithful to the persecuted. Now, we've heard tremendous preaching on the faithfulness of our God. We've heard wonderful songs that that have the great doctrine of the faithfulness of our God. Tonight, I'm going to focus a little bit more on the topic that I've been asked to speak on. It's in the area of persecution. You see, I think a lot of times we as believers and we as Christians, and mainly because sometimes we as pastors, we try to present this easy gospel with easy believism, and somehow along the way we've gotten the idea that if you'll just come to Christ, 
that all your problems will be taken care of, that everything will be okay, and that you won't have any troubles, you won't have any trials. Just come to Jesus. Now listen, I am very thankful that our God says he'll never leave us nor forsake us. I am very thankful that our God says, I will supply all of your needs according to my riches in glory. But guys, nowhere in God's word do we find that we get an easy way out just because we come to Christ. There's still going to be suffering. There's still going to be trials. There's still going to be heartache. And there's still going to be persecution. And so I want to try to unpack, if we will, that topic a little bit this evening, straight out of our text in 1 Peter chapter 4. The Word of God says, Beloved, in verse 12, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing has happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. Amen. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you, and on their part he is evil spoken of, But on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters. Boy, we could park right there a while, could we not? But I won't. I'll resist the temptation. Verse 16. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer, get this now, according to the will of God, commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing, as unto a faithful creator. Let's pray. Father, God, I stand here this evening in total dependence upon you. Father, as I have been assigned this text, as I have studied, as I have prepared, Father, I've tried to seek after your leadership and your guidance in these months leading up to this very hour. And Father, I pray the prayer that Martin Luther prayed many, many years ago. It went something like this. He prayed, and I pray this prayer. I realize the very, very best that I can do as a preacher is to speak the word of God and reach the ear of that individual that may listen to me. But how I stand in total dependence on a holy God, that you'll take the word of God, you'll penetrate the heart of each and every one of us, and make every one of us more like the Son of God. May the Spirit of God take the word of God and make us like the Son of God. Father, I realize that Many come here to the convention with a lot of different areas of baggage. Many are coming just for a spirit of revival. And oftentimes I have come to the convention and it's been it's been just what I've needed. And Father, I just pray for that pastor, for that missionary, for that pastor's wife, for that pastor's family and their children and for those lay leaders and for those deacons and for their wives and for each one that's here. God, I pray that you give us exactly what we need so that we can go home and lead our churches and fulfill the Great Commission and see lives changed and souls saved. Father, I pray that you would receive the honor and the glory for everything that's said and done. In the remainder of our time together, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. First Peter chapter 4, verse 12 through verse 19. Let me see if I can... Start to unpack this a little bit for you. 
If I can set a an environment, a setting behind the writing of Peter when he was writing this particular passage of Scripture. The date was July 19th. The year was 64 A.D. If you paid attention in history class at all, you remember there was a quote, there was a saying that said something like this, Rome burned, but Nero fiddled. Rome burned, but Nero fiddled. That's kind of a famous statement in history, and it's been passed down through our history classes for generation after generation. But what took place on this date, July 19th, 64 A.D., was the fact that this was the date that the great city of Rome burned. If you go back and you study a little bit about Rome in that day and age, you realize you'll know that Rome had very narrow streets. They had great buildings that were built very high in structure, but they were made out of wooden tenements or wooden buildings, if you will. Something like apartment buildings that we may live in, in very narrow streets, and the city was engulfed in flames. For three days and three nights, the city of Rome burned. And it was said that Nero fiddled. Now the Romans actually believed that Nero was responsible for burning their great city and their homes. You may ask why. Why would they think that their emperor, their leader, would burn the city? History tells us that Nero had this fixation with building. He did not like the structure of the current city. So historians have passed down that the people of that day believed that Nero wanted to build a new, bigger, better city. As a matter of fact, it's even said that Nero stood in his tower and he watched almost gleefully as the city of Rome burned to the ground. In fact, it's said that he was charmed by the flames and the loveliness of the flames. It's even said that those who came and tried to put the fires out, that the armies of Nero and the soldiers of Nero hindered those that were trying to put out the flames in this great city. The people of Rome were devastated. They absolutely lost everything. They lost their places of worship. They lost their homes. They lost their household goods. Everything was gone. The people were homeless. And as you can imagine, there was great resentment that started to rise out of the people towards Nero. You may be saying, preacher, where are you going with all this? Stay with me. Just stay with me. We're going somewhere, okay? I promise you I'm going to pour this thing into the station in just a moment and rear back and start preaching. But stay with me, okay? The people had this great resentment towards Nero. The bitterness was very deep, somewhat deadly. So Nero needed a scapegoat. The heat was getting to Nero, no pun intended, from the people of Rome thinking that he had burned their city. So Nero needed to divert the the attention away from himself to another group of people. Well, guess who he chose? He chose to blame the fire on the Christians that had populated Rome. Publicly, he blamed the Christians for setting fire to Rome. Now, really, it was an ingenious choice. When you start unpacking and looking at all that was taking place in that day, it was a great thing for him to do. Why is that? It's because the Christians were already victims of hatred and slander. You see, in the minds of the Romans, the Christians were connected with the Jews that had been dispersed in the diaspora. And since that was a, since there was a growing anti-Semitism, It seemed almost naturally that now there's this growing anti-Christian attitude as well. 
You see, the people of Rome looked at the Christians and with tremendous hatred. As a matter of fact, whenever the Christians observed the Lord's Supper, they did so behind closed doors. The pagans were not allowed in to the Lord's Supper. Only believers and only Christians were allowed in to partake of the Lord's Supper. So therefore, the Romans that were there, the people that were there, they sort of developed this kind of strange imagination of what was taking place with these Christians behind the closed doors. You see, they heard about these Christians, how they were eating flesh and they were drinking blood. Therefore, they accused them of cannibalism. In fact, they began to say that the Christians behind closed doors were eating babies and even Gentiles at the Lord's Supper. They also made false accusations about the Christians and said that the Christian kiss of love, that it was supposedly used at this love feast when they went in behind closed doors and it was a demonstration of the lust and the orgies that was taking place at the Lord's Supper. Now, I'm just sharing with you history is all I'm doing right now. I'm talking about, and I want you to see the backdrop of why Peter was writing this particular epistle. It's also said that Christians were also very unpopular because they split families. When a husband would come to Christ and the wife would not, there would be a divide in the family. And of course, vice versa with the two. Christians also used to talk about a time when the world would be dissolved by fire. Well, they spread the rumors and the lies that here it is. They're trying to fulfill their own prophecy with the burning of Rome. This really began what later developed into a full-blown persecution of the Christians. Matter of fact, if you go later than Nero to Domitian and the other Roman emperors, you'll find that what began here with an initial hatred toward the Christians became a fixed policy. As a matter of fact, also, the question whether a man was a Christian became the most essential part of any charge that may be brought against him in that day. As a result of these accusations, the persecution began. I don't know if you've ever went back and studied some of that, but friends, it was horrendous. This was the beginning of... A 200 year of intense persecution on the body of Christ and these Christians that had called the name of Christ. As a matter of fact, history tells us that Nero rolled Christians in pitch or in oil and then he set fire to them while they were still alive. And he used them as living torches to light his garden parties along the way. It's also said that what he did to Christians, he served them up in skins of wild animals to his hunting dogs. And they would tear the Christians literally to shreds. We also know that Nero nailed them to crosses. And within a few years, Christians were imprisoned. They were racked. They were seared. They were broiled. They were burned. They were scourged. They were stoned. They were lacerated with hot knives. They were hanged. And they were thrown on the horns of wild bulls. Now what's interesting about all of that is that the backdrop of this epistle, that's what we find. And here we find Peter, and the best that we can ascertain is that the epistle that Peter wrote, 1 Peter, was probably written just after all of that began, sometime toward the year, the end of the year, 64 A.D. And it began this great 200 year of persecution. Therefore, look if you will in verse number 12. Therefore, we are not shocked. To read the words that Peter wrote, he said, beloved, and by the way, that's a very endearing pastoral term. I mean, Peter, Pastor Peter is pouring his heart out to these believers that are getting ready to undergo this great persecution. And he says, beloved, think it not strange. Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. 
Friends, may I just say, say this? That persecution always has been and always will be a part of the Christian faith. I don't know where it is that we got off track thinking that because we accept Christ as our Savior, therefore we are not to undergo any persecution or any suffering or any hardships or any trials. Peter is saying, with that backdrop that I just shared with you, he is saying, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. Let's fast forward, if you will, from July 19, 64 A.D. to the 21st century. Matter of fact, on my iPhone that I have in my pocket, I have an app on there from the persecuted church, from persecution.com. And there's an app on there and, and you pull it up and you pray daily for the persecuted church. And on there, they have some news events of things that are taking place right now in our day. You see, can I say this? Oh, can I say this? Lord, help me. I think sometimes we have fallen into some little pamsy whamsy Say a little prayer before we go to bed. Oh, how I love Jesus. I'm a Christian. And all my guys, listen, what we need are some men and women that are willing to stand in the face of persecution and declare what thus saith the Lord. I'll even go as far as to say this. If you're standing behind your pulpits and you're trying to preach a politically correct message, you probably won't suffer a whole lot of persecution. But if you're standing behind your pulpits and you're preaching what thus saith the Lord and you're preaching a biblical accurate account of the word of God, I promise you, honey, there's going to be people that do not like that. Hello? Yes, our God is faithful, and all God's people say amen. amen. But there is also great persecution whenever we stand and we proclaim the word of God and we preach against sin. Hey, I love the sinner as much as anybody, but we still got to stand and preach against sin. And we've got to preach the word of God. And I promise you, sometimes it does hair lip the devil in his crowd. And sometimes they do get upset. But what we need are men that will stand in our pulpits and proclaim. What thus saith the Lord. Amen. <laughs> I'm still in my introduction, by the way. I'll get to my message in just a moment. You bear with me. 21st century. Persecution.com. Go there and look at some of the persecution that's taking place in our world today. On June the 10th, on a Sunday morning in Nigeria... Churches are being under attack while they were there worshiping the Lord on June the 10th. On that Sunday morning, a suicide car bomber killed two and injured 40 others. In another church nearby on the same day, a gunman killed at least two Christians while they were in their church worshiping. In Indonesia, churches are being forced to close. And they said on their news report that 22 churches had been forced to close because there was mounting pressure being placed on the local governments. And they said they must shut down the Christian churches. Also in Nigeria, a university was attacked on April the 22nd on a Sunday, killed 19 Christians and 22 others were injured. It is said that the attackers hurled small homemade explosives into the crowd of worshipers and they fired on those who were trying to escape. Now, you know, you know what I find amazing? You don't hear much about that on the news today, do you? Huh? You don't hear much about that. But there's great persecution that's still taking place in the church today. As a matter of fact, some of the research that I have done, that there are over 200 million Christians in over 60 countries that are suffering intense persecution for their faith. Persecution always has been and always will be part of the Christian faith. And you know, pastors, I'm for trying a lot of different methods to reach a lot of different people. I'm okay with that. But I've realized that everybody's not going to love me. And I've almost come to the place, you know, and I believe this is somewhat biblical as well. Hopefully you can scotch me with an amen right here. But if, if you're a man that everybody speaks well of, then I would question whether you are preaching the whole counsel of God. Uh, that's a hint right there, okay? You can, you can. Matter of fact, 1 Timothy 3.12. Remember the passage of Scripture? All that live godly in Christ Jesus, they might suffer persecution. 
Hello? That wasn't a correct reading of the translation of Scripture. Hello? It says the Word of God, 2 Timothy 3.12, All that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But boy, I love what Jesus said in John 16 and verse number 33. Get this. He says, these things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Amen. Man, he's faithful. He's faithful. Yes, we're going to be persecuted. Yes, we're going to have difficult times. I also really believe this too, guys. You see, I believe America has been blessed all these years simply because of the Abrahamic covenant. When God said to Abraham, Abraham, I will bless those that bless thee and I will curse those that curse thee. And for all these years since we have been a nation, the United States of America has stood strong by Israel and taken care of God's people. And I believe we've had God's hand of blessing on us. I was sharing with someone today, I think some of my deacons, and thank you guys for coming from Victory today all the way down here. I was sharing with one of those guys out there in the hallway right before this, and I said, you know what, I'm not real sure where we are as a nation today. If Israel were to be attacked, sadly, I I would hope, but sadly, I sit here and I'm not real sure. What our government would do. Let me tell you something, church. We must get back to preaching the word of God and let our people know that the reason that the United States of America is blessed is simply because we have been a blessing to Israel and we must continue being a blessing to Israel. We also have been a nation that's been founded on the Christian principles of the word of God. And I'm not going to unpack all of that stuff, but my, my, my. And we've gotten away from God so much in our nation today. You see, I believe that we're right around the corner. We talk about the persecution that's going on in Nigeria. We talk about the persecution that's going on in Indonesia. We talk about the persecution that's going on around the world. I believe we're at the threshold of tremendous amount of persecution. Now, I'm talking about intense. I'm not talking about some preacher talking about you. Hello? Listen, I've had preachers talk about me for the last 20 years, but I realize I'm not preaching to them and I'm not preaching for them. Hello? I'm not talking about somebody saying something about you. I'm talking about intense persecution, possibly even dying for your faith. It seems to me like we're standing in the threshold of those days. And sometimes I wonder if we really knew that a gunman may walk in that back door or the government may bust these doors down and arrest us and persecute us and possibly even put us on the shooting line and kill us for our faith. I wonder how many would even come to the National Convention of Free Will Baptist. Say amen or oh me, but stay with me here. We're going somewhere. Hello? We got to realize persecution always has been. And always will be part of the Christian faith. But yes, our God is faithful. Amen? So what does Peter address? You see, one of the questions that's asked me probably more often than any other question is, Pastor, why is this happening to me? I've given my life to Christ and my marriage has fallen apart. I've given my life to Christ and I just lost my job. I've given my life to Christ and we just lost our baby. I've given my life to Christ and tried to raise my children in the ways of the Lord, but they are so far away from God. Why is hardship? Why is suffering? Why are trials coming my way? Why am I having to endure this? Well, I believe that Peter reveals for us Four responses to some of these questions that people may have. And I believe whenever you ask the question, what am I to do whenever I'm undergoing persecution or suffering or heartaches or trials? What is my response? How am I to live? What am I to do? That's exactly what Peter's unpacking for us here in First Peter. 
He's telling us at least four things. There's probably several more that you could dig out of here. But I want to try to share with you four responses on how we are to handle persecution when it happens and when it comes our way. And Peter shares shares with us that we need to realize that it's bound to happen. We need to rejoice when it does happen. We need to refuse to be ashamed. And we need to remain faithful to God. Let me unpack the first one. How should I respond whenever I'm being persecuted? How should What should my response be when I'm going through sufferings and hardships and trials? The first thing is we need to realize that suffering, that persecution is bound to happen. Look what he says in our text. I'm going to be pulling this straight from the text. Open your Bibles, if you will. Look there. Pull out your iPad. Pull out your iPhone. Pull out your Android. Pull out your Kindle Fire. Whatever it is where you take your notes and study your Bible. Pull it out and get a hold of this. In verse number 12, it says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial. In other words, he's saying, guys, don't be surprised when it comes. He says, don't be shocked. Don't be taken back. He says, think it not strange concerning this fiery trial, which could be persecution or suffering in some way, which is to try you. I've got some research from the World Evangelical Alliance. And their research shares this. It says that over two million Christians in at least 60 countries are denied fundamental human rights solely because of their faith. They even went back and did some studies in the early 1900s. And found out there were 34,400 Christians that were martyred in that year. They narrowed it down a little bit and they studied the year 2000. In the year 2000, there were 160,000 Christians that were martyred in that one year. In the year 2009, the research discovered that there were 176,000 Christians that were murdered that year. And they went on to say that if the current trends continue, that it is estimated that by the year 2025, an average of 210,000 Christians will be martyred annually. You know what Peter is saying about all of that? He said, don't be surprised by that. Listen, guys, this world's not our home. Hello? We're just pilgrims passing through. Our home is laid up. And you know the poem, somewhere beyond the blue. We need to realize that, hey, persecution is going to come. And when it comes, Peter's saying, don't be frightened by this. Don't be shook up by this. Don't be caught off guard. Listen, guys, mark this down. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you stand on the word of God, there are going to be areas in your life that people just simply do not like. Peter's saying... Realize that hardship's going to come. Realize that suffering's going to come. As a matter of fact, we need to realize that Jesus was very realistic. He was very honest about this. You remember what he said in John 15, verse 18 through 20? He said, if the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute, finish it for me, you. God's persecution is just part of the, part of the faith. As a matter of fact, much of this was fulfilled in the book of Acts. And you go and study that. You'll see that in Acts chapter 4, that Peter and John faced the Sanhedrin. And they were given a, have to give an account of the healing of the lame man at the temple. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen is tried by the Sanhedrin. He's condemned to die. In Acts chapter 9, the Jews, they wanted to kill Paul for his preaching. In Acts chapter 12, James and Peter are arrested by King Herod. And the scripture tells us that while they are arrested and in prison, they were scheduled for execution. And James was beheaded, but Peter was delivered. You remember how he was delivered? (laughs) Hey, there was a divine miracle that took place. Remember what was happening? The church was praying. Hello? And Peter was delivered, or he would have been executed as well. 
In Acts 14, Paul is stoned and left for dead at Lystra. Acts 16, Paul and Silas, they're in prison at Philippi. Acts 18, Paul is persecuted in Macedonia. In Acts 19, Paul is arrested and he's tried in Ephesus. In Acts 21, Paul's arrested again and he's held for trial in Jerusalem. In Acts 24, Paul is tried before Felix. Acts 26, Paul is tried before Festus and King Agrippa. Acts 27 and 28, Paul is kept under arrest. He's sent by a ship to stand trial before Caesar. And Paul remains a prisoner in Rome until he's executed by the Romans. Remember what Jesus said, John 15, 20 again, I repeat it to you. Remember the word I said unto you. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. You see, this proved true of the disciples. James was beheaded by King Herod. Peter was crucified upside down in Rome. Andrew was crucified on an olive tree. Thomas was thrust with spears and tormented with hot, red hot plates and then burned alive. Philip was tortured and crucified. Matthew was beheaded. Nathaniel was skinned alive, then crucified. James the less was thrown down from the Temple Mount and then beaten to death with clubs. Simon the Zealot was crucified. Thaddeus was beaten to death with sticks. Matthias was stoned while hanging on a cross. John the Beloved, you remember, he was thrown into boiling oil, but he did not die. Later he was exiled to the prison of Patmos. And Paul was beheaded. Millions through the years have died for their faith. Millions have died for their faith. Millions more, if the Lord tarries his coming, will die for their faith. I'll say it again. Just being a believer in Jesus Christ is not always a bed of roses. I don't know where we came up with this myth that if you just come to Jesus... Everything will be okay in your life. There'll be no heartaches. There'll be no trials. Everything will run smoothly. If I just give my life to Jesus, everything will be okay. There's a Greek word for that from Western North Carolina where I'm from, and we call it hogwash. Hello? Nowhere in Scripture do you see that everything is going to be great like that. When you, Matter of fact, the invitation that really should be given on any Sunday morning by any preacher is we should come before our congregation and say, come to Jesus, and while you're coming, remember, you're, you're sacrificing your life. You may die for your faith. You will go through hardships. You will go through trials. You will go through suffering. Satan will not like what you stand for. The world will hate you. Preachers, we need to get back to preach it, the whole counsel of God. Yes, God is a God of love. Yes, He takes care of our needs. Yes, He blesses us. But listen, I'll tell you what, we need some men and we need some women that are willing to lay down their life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I believe this, I believe our denomination will die unless we get men that are willing to stand and say, thus saith The Lord. I'm going to load your wagon this one time. May never get asked to preach here again, okay? So I'm just going to give it to you, all right? (laughs) Guys, you realize that whenever you trust Christ as your Savior, you enter into a spiritual battle. Amen? There's a spiritual warfare that's taking place. And the Bible tells us in Ephesians 6 and verse number 12, it says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Guys, listen, we are in a spiritual battle, and the enemy is Satan himself. Let me give you a freebie. Can I give you a freebie right here? It won't cost you a thing. Guys, you realize that when we are in this battle, that it's the world who hates us and it's the world who brings persecution upon us may God help us may God convict us may we repent may we fall on our face before a holy God I want you to look around this room right now the enemy is not sitting in this room Hello? I don't know about you, but I am sick and tired of pastors bickering back and forth of one another, building little parties over here and little parties over there, and they think that that group is the enemy and, and that group on the other side of the nation is the enemy. Listen, we got to get to the place where we quit fighting one with another. God help us if we are bringing persecution on a brother in Christ. Somebody say amen right there. 
Woo. That's point number one. I got four of these babies to get through. Oh my, I'm not going to preach this whole thing. I'm not going to be able to. Newsflash! Those sitting in this room are not your enemy. Say it with me. Those sitting in this room are not your enemy. Say it with me. Those sitting in this room are not your enemy. Guys, there's not a free will Baptist preacher in the face of North America or around the world that doesn't believe in the fundamentals of the faith. Hello? We believe in the inspiration of the Word of God. We believe that Jesus lived a sinless life. Hello? We believe that he was virgin born. Come on. We believe that he died on the cross. He was put in the tomb. He, and there was a bodily resurrection. Not some spiritual resurrection. There was a bodily resurrection that came. Are you with me? We believe he ascended up to the Father in heaven. And we believe, get this, that he is coming again. Hello? Now, I don't know about you, but if you line up with the fundamentals of the faith, I don't have any problem whatsoever locking arms with you and going into battle with Satan. I don't care if you wear a tie on Sunday or not. I better stop meddling right here. Here we go. I don't care if you wear blue jeans to church. Oh, preacher, I don't know. Come on now. Persecution comes from the world. And God help us when we turn and start attacking each other. Listen, there's people that you'll reach that I never will reach. And there's people that I'll reach that you never will reach. And we need to start praying for one another. We need to start encouraging one another. We need to start loving on one another. We need to start picking up the phone and calling some preacher across the country that doesn't even have the same views that we may have as far as methodology. But their doctrine is sound. And we need to say, brother, listen, I just want you to know I love you and I'm praying for you and I'm always here for you if you need me. Man, why can't we get to that? You see, I went to Trinity Baptist Bible College in Asheville, North Carolina. And my homiletics professor, Dr. Steve Gilreath, he said, Boys, you're really not preaching until you start meddling a little bit. Matter of fact, he said, when you preach, there are three worlds you need to visit. You need to visit the biblical world, and I've already unpacked that for you. He said, then you need to visit the 21st century or the world you live in. I've already unpacked the 21st century world. But he said, there's one more world you need to park in. And that's individual's world. And you need to lay it in their lap and let them make a decision. Are y'all with me today? Oh, realize suffering's going to come. Number two, rejoice when suffering does happen. I got to stop here soon, guys, and I'm only on point two. Rejoice when suffering happens. Look at verse 13. But rejoice in as much as you are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. And Peter says that we're to realize that suffering is going to happen. We're to rejoice when it does happen. I want you to circle that word rejoice. You know what he's simply saying? He's saying stop complaining. Stop whining. Stop complaining. Start celebrating. Quit having a pity party and start throwing a party. What he's saying, what I want you to do when persecution comes your way, realize it's coming. And secondly, rejoice when it does come. Oh, there's a difference between enjoying something and rejoicing in something. You see, he's not telling us to enjoy it. Hello? No one enjoys persecution. He's not telling us to enjoy. You see, to enjoy something means I'm getting pleasure out of that something. But to rejoice means I choose to have a positive attitude in spite of that something. And that's what he's telling us to do. We need to rejoice. When persecution comes your way, rejoice. Guys, you realize it's a choice to rejoice. I think somebody said that earlier this week. Man, that resonated in my spirit when I heard that. And I forget who said it, and I'll give credit to whoever it is if you'll tell me who it was. I can't remember who it was. One of the preachers said, it's a choice to rejoice. And guys, that's true, and that's what we need to start doing. Jesus even said in Matthew chapter 5, he said, blessed. The word just simply means happy or fortunate. Are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you you see the language here depicts a situation to where per- persecution is the expected norm i mean it should be normal to be persecuted Guys, you realize that praise and tribulation go hand in hand? Matter of fact, we look at the life of David and we see that he was a man that 
that underwent great trials and heartaches and persecution. And you know what you find him doing? You find him rejoicing. In Psalm 35, 28, David said, And my tongue shall speak of thy righteousness and of thy praise all the day long. Psalm 71, 6b says, My praise shall be continually of thee. Psalm 42, 11, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him. You see, I don't know what you may be facing today. You may be going through some heartaches and trials in your own ministry. You may be going some through heartaches and trials in your family. You may be going through the fire of persecution in some form or some fashion. You want me to tell you what you need to do? I think you need to follow David's example. You just need to quit complaining. Hello? You need to get out from under that juniper bush and realize that, hey, there's a God in heaven that is faithful. There's a God in heaven that promised you he would never leave you nor forsake you. There's a God in heaven that promised he would meet all your needs according to his riches, not yours, in glory. Hello? And just start rejoicing. What you need to do whenever persecution's coming your way and whenever you're having a battle to fight in your church or whatever, in your community, whatever the case may be, you need to just put on some good praise music, whatever your style may be. Put it on and jack it up. I mean, crank it up and just rear back and start praising the Lord. And I promise you, when you divert your attention away from the problem to a holy God, you won't have any problem whatsoever in your life. And you'll realize that, hey, the problem is you do have, that our God is a lot bigger than the problem that we may be facing. Hello? We just simply need to... Peter, in the backdrop of what I've already shared with you, has told them, realize these are coming and rejoice when they do come. May I just... And I'm not even going. I'm not even going to unpack the last two. I'm going to stop with this one. But guys, do you realize that whenever you rejoice, there's two things according to the scripture that takes place in your life when you rejoice in the heat of persecution. Look with me, if you will, in verse 13. But rejoice in as much as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering. You know what that word partaker means and is? It's the Greek word koinonia. And it's the word that means fellowship. It's the word that means coming together and getting real intimate and having community and participation and fellowship one with another. And it's saying that whenever we are undergoing persecution, that yes, realize it's coming. Secondly, rejoice in as much as you are partakers. You see what happens whenever we partake of something with someone, whenever we go through suffering with someone, you know what happens? We get closer and closer together. And Christ is saying, and Peter is saying about the Lord, whenever you go through the persecution and you go through the trials and you go through the heartaches and you go through the hard places of life, realize that you are suffering with Christ and true koinonia is going to start taking place in your life and you are going to be closer to the Lord and have a more intimate relationship with Him. There's a great example of that. I wonder, do we have any World War II vets in the house? Do we have any Vietnam vets in the house? Do we have any um, uh, Afghanistan or Iraqi vets in the house? Do we have any Desert Storm vets in the house? Do we have anybody that served in our armed forces? If so, I want you to stand up. If you have served in our armed forces in any branch at any time in your life, I want you to stand up. Let's give these men and women a hand. Thank you guys for serving. My daughter right now is watching online and she is down in San Antonio, Texas, and she has joined the United States Air Force and she's studying to be a nurse in the Air Force. And here's what I've watched and discovered in her. And, and I passed her right outside of Scott Air Force Base and our Victory Church family is watching right now at the church. And here's what I've discovered after fellowship and pastoring and being around these veterans. That man, there is a bond they talk a language that I'm not even aware of. They speak in acronyms. Why? Because they've been through a lot of the same things together. And it's drawn them closer together. You get two World War vets together and you let them start talking about their experience in the war and you'll find there's a bond there. You get some Vietnam vets together and thank God for those men. And you, you'll see there's a bond there. Why? They suffered together. And the same thing is true of us and our Lord. Whenever we go through suffering and hardships and trials and persecution, you know what it does? Boy, it brings us closer and closer and closer and closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul knew a little bit about that in Philippians 3. He said, yea, doubtless, 
I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, from whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Verse 10, that I may, what? You know this, that I may know him. There's the Greek word once again, koinonia. Paul is saying, boy, if I suffer with him and I count all these things that I have gained but lost through the suffering I've had with Jesus, that I may know him. Boy, whenever we go through suffering and hardships and trials, I want us to look at it from an entirely different perspective and realize that they are going to come. And when they do come, we should rejoice. Why? Because we know that when we go through these trials, that what God is doing, he is bringing us into a more intimate, closer relationship with him. Or if we'd start looking at the glass half full instead of half empty and realize what God is doing in our life. The other thing that God can be seen in your life in 1 Peter 4, 14, if you be reproached by the name of Christ, happy are ye for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. And on their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. You know what it's saying there when you're going through persecution, that the spirit of God rests on you. And you know what happens when the Spirit of God rests on you? People start taking notice. And somebody sees something a little bit different in your life. And God gets the glory for it. A few weeks ago, I received an email from a young lady. Her name is Jamie. She's 21 years old. She's recently been diagnosed with stage 4 breast cancer. The cancer has spread into her liver, into her bones, and possibly even into her lungs. And the prayer request came to me that we would send out through our church email, and we sent this out. But here was her request. She says, pray for me as I'm undergoing these treatments and fighting this battle with cancer. She says, I want Christ to get the glory for this. Here was her request. Help me glorify Christ through my sickness. You know what happens when we go through suffering and heartache? Yes, we're brought closer to the Lord, but God can be seen in our life. And we'll be a witness to a world around us. I'm not going to have time to unpack the other two. I've gone too long already. I must stop. But I wonder as musicians come and every head is bowed and every eye is closed. I don't know what you may be going through today. But guys, we must understand that persecution is part of... It's part of our faith. And we must be willing to stand. And God is faithful to stand with us. But we must stand. Boy, we need some men and women with the attitude of old Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel chapter 3. They didn't bow to the image of the king. The king got word of it. He said, boys, is it true you didn't bow? I'll give you one more chance. When you hear the music, bow down. These three boys said, you know what? We're not going to bow. And this is a paraphrase. said, our God's going to deliver us from you. But if he does not, be it known to you, O king, that we serve one God. We will not bow to your image. We will die for our faith. I don't know what you're suffering and going through. I don't know what God may have brought into your life. Boy, I really want to get to the part that we're suffering oftentimes, many times, is God's will for our life. You find that in that passage. Sometimes God takes us through some trials and some heartaches and some testing that Brother Mike preached about last night. And it's to make us stronger. It's to draw us closer to Him. It's so that God can be seen in our lives and we can be the salt and the light to a world that so desperately needs Him. Oftentimes, pastors are going through trials and they think, boy, I'll just pack up and leave this church and go to another one. Guys, I promise you, if you don't pass the test where you are, you have to take it again at the next place you go. God is wanting to grow you through the persecution. Maybe you've been ridiculed for standing for the Word of God. Maybe you've wrestled with political correctness in your own preaching of the Word of God. Oh, my heart is breaking for you today. And I knew I prepared way too much material. But I hope you've been able to take a little bit of what I've shared with you and decide today, you know what? 
Today I am I am recommitting my call to Christ. I am going to be willing to stand in the face of persecution. Guys, I know what that's about. I've suffered persecution in my ministry. I've suffered trials and hard places to get through. People making false accusations and spreading rumors and lies and sticking knives in your back. I've, I've faced that. But I look to the Word of God in Hebrews and I say, Moses, how'd you endure? God's Word tells us that Moses endured as seeing him who is invisible. Oh, he kept his eyes on Jesus. Paul said, boys, keep your eyes on Jesus. I wonder, as I just want to encourage you today, will you make a, a fresh, new commitment at this convention today, tonight, will you drive a stake in the ground and say, I'm God's man for the church he's called me to. And I'm going to stand in the face of persecution. I may have people in my church that don't like me, but I know God's called me there. And I'm going to stand. I may have deacons that are telling me to water down the world. I'm going to stand. Pastor, I want you to know that I've spent so much time in prayer for you over this message. Oh, I hope you will partner with me. And you... And you'll be one of those men that will say, I'm going to stand. In the face of persecution, I'm going to stand. When the hard times come, I'm going to stand. I'm going to proclaim what thus saith the Lord. I'm going to stand. I'm going to pray in just a moment. And as soon as I say amen, we're going to start singing this song. And then I want you to stand. They've built a wonderful place for us to gather around the front of this altar and fall on our face before a holy God. And why don't you renew that commitment that you made to God? Maybe a long time ago. Guys, I know that pastoring is hard. It's one of the hardest things I have ever done. And I can't tell you how many Monday mornings I have written resignation letters that I've wanted to throw down my Bible and get out of ministry. But I promise you, it's almost like Jeremiah. There is a fire in my bones. To proclaim the word of God to a generation that does not know it. Pastor, will you join with me and recommit yourself? We are going to face persecution. Peter says, realize it's going to happen. Rejoice when it does happen. Refuse to be ashamed. When it does happen, remain faithful to me when it does happen. God, I have emptied myself. There may be those that are upset with some of the things that I have said, but God, I've tried to stay with your word and realize that we are the family of God. And it breaks my heart when I see pastors turn on one another breaks my heart when I see a denomination fuss and fight and argue. God, we need to be about the Great Commission. We need to be about encouraging one another. There's not a free will Baptist that I know of around this country that doesn't believe in the fundamentals of the faith. And God, we've got to have unity there. In the essentials, God, we've got to have unity. In non-essentials, God, give us a spirit of liberty. But in all things, dear God, give us a spirit of charity, of love, one for another. God, I pray for that pastor that may be struggling today, that pastor's wife, that missionary, that lay leader, that deacon. God, I pray you'd stir in their hearts even now. Help them, God, to renew their commitment to you tonight. And help us, God. Give us strength. Give us courage. Give us boldness. To declare the whole counsel of God. May you get the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Well, thank you for joining us for this message from the Word of God. We know that the truth you have just heard will change your life, if you believe it and intentionally apply it. If you need someone to pray with, or maybe you just want someone to talk to, please call us at 618-622-9360. That's 618-622-9360. Or you can email us at victory at victorychurchonline.net. That's victory at victorychurchonline.net. If you're interested in obtaining more teaching materials, or if you'd like to partner with us in this ministry, please contact us. You can call, email, or send a request to 715 Lake Point Center, Suite 109 in O'Fallon, Illinois. Or come check us out on the web at www.victorychurchonline.net. And again, we thank you and are glad you could join us.